Turn your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. I actually did not know this, but I did know that, that uh, the Day of Atonement just passed in Israel is also accompanied by the Feast of, of Tabernacles. And what I didn't know is the custom of many of the synagogues is to read the book of Ecclesiastes. So, uh, in the pro uh, during that time, during that period, and um, I think that this passed, uh, and, and the invasion of Hamas to Israel occurred on Sukkot, the first day of the Feast of Tab Tabernacles. And so it's um, one of those providences that lands us in the book of Ecclesiastes. I can tell you, as I, and anybody knows me will tell you, I am not a planner, so um, it's one of those interesting providences that has occurred in the life of our church. This is uh, the words of the preacher Kolotet. He's called, he calls himself. Um, we know from the introduction that it is Solomon in his old age, uh, writing his older days, he's not that old, but in his older days, writing <clears throat> about uh, life under the sun and what that means. Give your attention to the Word of God, beginning at verse 15. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you have yourself cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found one man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, 
but they have sought out many schemes. Heavenly Father, bless through our understanding the reading and the exposition of your infallible inerrant word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, as some uh, biblical scholars do, without any understanding or, or trying to ignore the understanding of the rest of Scripture, it will leave you confused and perplexed. And I find that many people like the book of Ecclesiastes just because of this. They like the uh, uncertainty. They like the things that are let not, uh, that are, that are uh, uh, hard to figure out because it justifies in their mind a uh, kind of practical uh, atheism or agnosticism. I truly believe in order to understand this book properly, you have to understand where it fits in the whole Bible. You have to understand its author, which is plainly said to be Solomon in the first chapter. You have to understand that it is later in his life, after God has used him to write the Song of Songs about the blessedness of married love, after he has been used of God to collect the Proverbs, the 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs, which is wisdom for daily life. You have to understand that. You have to understand it's much later uh, in his life. I don't think he was a man much, much over 60 years old when he wrote this. I think like many of the kings of Israel, he succeeded to the throne of Israel as a teenager. It seems apparent from the timeline of the death of his father. And he started as a young man extremely well. This is a lesson to our young people. You can have great responsibilities as a young person. And you can start extremely well in your faith, in your life, in your communion with God. A man used of God to write down the very words of God that we have heard read this morning. And yet, your heart can be turned away which is exactly what happened to Solomon. And there is that, that incredible summation of the end of his life and the end of his reign in Israel in 1 Kings chapter 11. And when you read that summation of how he ends his life, you see, you, you, you can walk away with it. And, 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 I, and, and many commentators don't, totally ignore and put that aside. Again, here's where the old school is better. They say if someone else took uh, Solomon, the person of Solomon, as a known diploma, a, a pen name, and called himself Colotet. I think that's so much nonsense. This is Solomon dealing with the effects of walking away from his relationship with the Lord. The 
whole Bible is plainly necessary for us to understand what this passage means. He says, in his vain life, in his vain, fleeting life, he's seen everything. And if you think about a thousand marriages to a thousand foreign wives, and all that brought into uh, uh, the temple, brought into his home in Israel, you can understand he probably had just about seen everything in the world. No doubt he had. The Holy Spirit moves him to write that he had seen it all. There is a righteous man. A righteous man. There is a a man who is a sadiq, that's the Hebrew word for righteous. He is sadiq. The Bible's so clear about righteousness in the New Testament. The only way to properly understand this is that we are justified, which is the uh, our translation of the New Testament word righteous. A synonym for Sadiq, justified. We are made righteous by faith alone, through grace alone. And that is true, we learn from the New Testament, looking uh, back at the Old Testament saints. If Solomon had any righteousness, if he had any ability at all to communicate the truth of God, it was by his grace, by God's grace. If we're saved at all, as the people of God, we are saved by grace through faith alone. And he finally comes to it at the end of the book. I'll just give away the end of the book. He says, at the end of the day, all that matters is that you fear God and you keep his commandments. That is the essence of saving faith. Righteousness. First point is righteousness does not guarantee prosperity. I've looked, I've looked in my day and I've seen a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. That doesn't mean he, he's lost. That means his physical life is taken away quickly. Perhaps he's thinking of his father, David, and the episode where David is running for his life from Saul, hiding in the wilderness. And he's looking for help, and he comes to uh, the, the priest at Nob, and Abiathar gives him the, the uh, sword of Goliath so he can defend himself as he's running away from Saul. And, and he, David lies about why he's running the priests don't care anyway because they want to help David because they know he is righteous and they help him but his subterfuge results in Doeg the Edomite one of Saul's henchmen coming along and murdering all these righteous priests including Abiathar maybe Solomon's thinking about that when 
And the Holy Spirit moves him to write about that. Certainly true all through the Bible. Later on, uh, there, there is a, a righteous man named Naboth who has a beautiful vineyard. And the king Ahab wants it. And his wicked wife Jezebel conspires to have it taken away. And so many times in the Bible and so many times in the history of the church, God's people who were called to himself and so many today are in prison today. And so often we forget of our brothers that our brothers and sisters, unknown, unnamed in places through the world, in China, in Korea, in, in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, in the Middle East, are being put to death. Their lives being taken away, their property and their possessions plundered, a gathering as we do here, fearful that someone's going to, to roll a grenade into the service. They don't know, but they mean anyway. And their lives are taken, and they stand in glory in heaven instantly as a result. And they cry out, how long, O Lord, until you bring vengeance? Solomon saw this. He also saw that there was a, a wicked man, a wicked man who would prolong his life by his wickedness. Perhaps he was thinking about the very first son, Cain. Who killed his brother Abel. Remember? Right at, right at the beginning of Genesis. The first family is a dysfunctional family. Where brothers hate each other so much that one would murder the other because of the way they offered worship to God and God's approval of one and not of the other. And you'll note that Cain did not get the death penalty immediately. Cain lived 730 years. Think about that. Perhaps he was thinking about Cain. Perhaps you can think of someone who, who by his wickedness and by his by his manipulation of others, has extended his life and increased his riches. The, the history of the world is full of such people, past and present. Jesus told the story in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus to make this very point. He said there was a rich man who died. Rich man is called Dives, which is simply means rich man. And then there was poor Lazarus. And we don't know uh, many details except that the rich man lived lavishly every day of his life. And he walked by the poor man, Lazarus, every day of his life and stepped over him. He obviously knew him because he knew him from Hades, from hell. So he begged the Lord to send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water while, while, while 
Dives, the rich man was in hell to relieve his pain. What Solomon is saying here in these verses, it's not your socioeconomic <coughs> status that separates you from God. It's not whether you're rich or whether you're poor that separates you from God. What separates you from God is failing to believe and trust in the provision of God for salvation. Again, Solomon doesn't see it fully. He doesn't understand that one day his ancestor, will, the, will, the, the Messiah to come, you know, Sol Solomon is, is also bears the term Messiah. Messiah means king, right? What he doesn't understand is some, a king is going to come from his lineage who will fulfill all these promises and fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness does not guarantee prosperity. There, there is a wicked teaching that is the most prevalent teaching in the visible church today called the prosperity gospel. It says if you put your faith in Jesus, then you're going to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, and wise. No. At least not in the world's terms. Yes, in terms of spiritual riches, true riches. The, the true riches are in heaven. It says in Ephesians 1, those God has called to himself were blessed in the heavenly places with all spiritual blessings in Christ. If you're a child of God, you are rich beyond comprehension. Even if your life is like Lazarus' life consisted of only the ability of laying on the street begging. The second point, verse 17 through 19, that I'd like to make is that righteousness delivers us from both legalism and license. Someone has well said that ever since the cross of Jesus, there are two thieves on either side of the cross. On the one side is the thief of legalism, and the other side is the thief of license. And both of these thieves are trying to rob the cross of its glory. Legalism says I can have my own righteousness. That I can be good enough to please God in and of myself. On the other side, license means like a license to sin. I have you get your driver's license, you can drive, you get your you get your, your conversion license, you say you have faith in Christ, you get your conversion license, and it's your it's your it's your um, permission to do whatever you want. I know this exists. I've heard it. It's wicked. Some people look at these verses and they use that, these verses to justify that very thought. Solomon is not saying here, as some interpret this, that we can be moderate in our righteousness. No, we can be 
Don't be overly righteous. Just be kind of good. He's not, you know, also he's not saying we can be moderate in our in our sinning. We don't sin too much. That's the way some people interpret these verses. And that's why some people like the book of Ecclesiastes. If you just rip these verses out of seven and or, or chapter seven and, and, and not see the, the whole of the book, you you could get that impression. That that is not what he's saying. Especially in light of the summation at the end of the book. The end of the book is fear God. Keep his commandments. The message is forget about what people think about you. Forget about your appearance before men. Focus upon God and his love for sinners. His love for you if you have put your faith and trust in him. It should be our every waking thought, moment, interaction is how can we demonstrate our love for Jesus? Because he has loved us so much. I love it when I ask someone how they're doing. They say, better than I deserve. I hear that often. That's somebody, that tells me that person is thinking of the gospel constantly. The one who fears God will not succumb to the notion that they have some righteousness that is acceptable of God to God apart from Jesus Christ. And we'll understand that it's the work of the Holy Spirit. We have, the, again, we have the full revelation of God. And Galatians 5 couldn't be more clear that, that what righteousness that comes out of us is produced by the work of the Holy Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. It says against these things there is no law. Because they come from God and they are the fulfillment of God's law. Which is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And he sent us. The reason he went to the cross is to send us the Holy Spirit. He says, if I go to the Father, I send the Holy Spirit that you might keep my commandments. Solomon is clear. There's not a righteous, in verse 20, there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. That's a verse you, can remember, you should memorize. Righteousness does not do away with remaining sin. It deals, it deals with righteousness. The righteousness of God, again, is synonymous with justifi justification. The righteousness of God is the gift of faith. If there's any proof that it doesn't de deal with remaining sin, it's the life of Solomon. Solomon sinned 
after he was given wisdom, if he was given <laughs> the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write the very words of God in the Song of Songs, in, in, in the book of Proverbs, he sends spectacular. He, he um, was given these gifts, and rather than rely on his gifts, he was obviously, uh, must have been not only a, a very wealthy king, he must have been a handsome man. Because he began to present himself to the surrounding nations, the surrounding territories. And they began giving, they began having an alliance. And if you read the summation of his life in 2 Kings chapter 11, you'll see that he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. And the concubine, the best I can understand, is like a wife. So he had a thousand wives. I can't even imagine. And then when he writes at the end of the book, there wasn't one, one, one righteous one among a thousand. I think he's writing about them. I'm sure, look at it carefully. I'm not, make, I'm not making light. Because it says very explicitly in 2 Kings chapter 11 that they turned his heart away to idols. So I don't think the number 1,000 here is random at all. Solomon cannot escape the obvious observation of remaining sin in himself. Just because you were a born again believer and you are, your sins have, sin debt has been completely canceled by God and you are have the imputed righteousness of Jesus by faith doesn't mean you still don't deal with sin. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 7 that this is true in the life of a believer. He says of himself, who, who externally kept all the, all the Jewish rituals. As Rabbi Saul, there was none better than, than Paul was in his former life, as keep, meticulously keeping all the laws. He said that the commandments came and I was doing great until God... Uh, revealed to my heart the 10th commandment, which is thou shalt not covet. And when that commandment came, it killed me because it produced in me covetousness of every kind. The one commandment that dealt with the heart. Everything else was external. He could perform externally and he could perform the sacrifices and the rituals to cleanse himself externally. But that 10th commandment that dealt with the heart couldn't, couldn't be changed. O wretched man that I am, he cries out, who will deliver me from the bondage of death? Thanks be to God. There is therefore no, now no condemnation. For the one who is in Christ Jesus.
the heart knows. You might, you might control your tongue, but the heart curses people. At the end, Solomon comes to the point where he understands in verse 23 and 24 that righteousness is not earned or deserved. He sought through his own efforts to turn from, I think he tried to turn from all these marriages and these foreign alliances. And, and, and his, he, he just was weak and he failed. A thousand foreign wives, a thousand instances of of engaging in idolatry as a result. Again, like the Apostle Paul, trapped in sin that he hates, he keeps doing it. And yet God's grace keeps returning. For at the end of the day, it is the righteousness of God alone that can deliver us. You, you may be trapped in right now. I'm, I'm, all of us have some besetting sin that traps us. You may be repeating the same sin over and over again. And, it's, it, it, and it, is, it is common for this to occur. You may think that, that you'll never be delivered with it, that you're not capable. And you're, and you're absolutely right. You're not capable of delivering yourself. The only thing that can deliver you from the bondage of remaining sin is fearing God and keeping the commandments of putting your faith and trust in him and understanding and, and understanding that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And the only way to come to terms with that is to take the sinner's place. If you take the posture of self-righteousness, then you will be overwhelmed with your sin. That's what's going on. That's why we have such hatred and such war in the world. You realize that is a religious war that's going on in the Middle East and in, in, in sub-Saharan Africa. It is actually a religious war everywhere it's being fought because people are self-righteous and want what they want and nation and have leaders and nations who are are such and then flame the passions of people to throw them into murderous war there's a war that's far greater than that when i was a chaplain in the guard reserves for a while they'd send us out on these field problems and they would be things like the truck overturned and 20 soldiers were killed well it wasn't in the fake war you didn't know if that was real or not I'd get so mad I'd be running around like a wild man trying to take care of those people and it, it was just a made up thing it was a fake war but you got us ready for a real war you need to understand you're in the middle of a real war, spiritual war. And that's what I would tell the commander. I said, I'm, I'm, dealing, I'm dealing with real wars. 
I'm dealing with people's marriages falling apart, and people dealing with people that are suicidal, people want to kill each other, and you're putting this other stuff on me. <laughs> We're dealing with a real war all the time. Every single one of you is dealing with a real war. And if you do not, if you have not made peace with God on his terms, which is by surrendering and submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then you are at war with God. And you're going to lose. The only terms that he will accept is your full, complete Surrender. Where, where is your heart? That's 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 the truth here. Solomon says he hasn't found a man. He's found one man. He knew one righteous man. And again, I think it's because of his, uh, his uh, assessment of the, the wives and him falling under the snares and nets of his thousand wives. He says there's not one righteous one. I think one one point he was married to the Shulamite woman. Song of Songs just makes that clear, but we don't know what happened to her. This is his present. Maybe, maybe she divorced him on biblical grounds. We don't know. This is his grim assessment. Jesus said it's out of the heart that precedes all the corruption, all the evil things, that, that, uh, all the vile things that corrupt human nature. Therefore, our heart must be changed. The only thing that can deal with the radical problem of sin and give us the righteousness of God is radical heart surgery. The removal of a hard, stony heart and its replacement by a heart for God. And Christ only can do this. The great physician, Jesus Christ alone, can perform that surgery. And every time he does, it's 100% successful. It never fails. Let us pray. Father, there, there may be someone here who needs a new heart, a spiritual heart. We pray for your grace to change it. Change the hardness of sin, the, the hardness of self-absorption. Father, that we all tend to and turn us to you, that we may receive Christ as Lord for the forgiveness of our sins and for our fellowship with you forever. Father, we pray for you to do this now in Jesus' name. Huh. Amen. Amen. Let's respond.